Rick, what, what did you call it? The uh, happy, happy ride into town on a donkey Sunday. It's all you guys. Hey, welcome to the Ridge. Uh, if we didn't meet, my name is Will. I'm, I'm the pastor here, so majority of the time it'll be me that's speaking on Sundays, but some of our other pastors and elders will speak at times. As you can see, at a simple glance around, we aren't the most liturgical group out there, so maybe not the most traditional. So some some holidays, we don't do what you expect, and other ones we do exactly what you'd expect. This one's going to be a little weird. So I wanted to share with you, um, so if you heard of Palm Sunday, tell me about that. What is it? Riding on a donkey day, what is that? Triumphal entry. Okay, we're throwing lots of good words out. What does it mean? What happened? The day they were supposed to receive Jesus as Messiah. Anyone else? Yeah, prophesied hundreds of years before. To the day. But they thought he was going to be king. This is good. This is good. Because I'm going to need your help today. So, let's let's just move forward. Um, back to what you said. Zechariah 9. If, if the print's a little small, I'm sorry. Uh, also, just know if you're part of our email list, uh, Josh will prepare kind of a sermon in a nutshell. Have you seen those? It, it gives you access to the slides, information, because there's this crazy idea. What I say is going to do absolutely nothing for you if you just come every Sunday and hear me gab and then try to forget and only remember whatever joke I had or what I was wearing but forget everything I said. So hopefully you have this in your inbox at home and you can kind of take a look at it. Keep me honest, check, check what I'm saying is true based on the scripture, and also go from that. So you'll have access to these scriptures. But Zechariah 9, uh, smart people, smarter than me, say that this prophecy was actually written more than 400 years before Jesus. So Zechariah 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a, on a fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Now, if I came to you with that, right? If I came to you with that and I said, this is what God wants to tell you. And I changed the name to something like, oh, Daughters of Prescott Valley, right? And sons... It'll be all the way from Lynx Lake to, uh, you know, uh, Granite Mountain or something, and everywhere in between. I, I, I'd use those terms, but what, what kind of feeling, what, kind of, what would you read into this speech? What would you believe God was telling you? Help me out. The king was coming. What else? Get excited. What's this king that is coming? Who is he and what's he going to do? It's going to bring peace to the earth. It's powerful. There's going to be bloodshed to get there, yep. 
I mean, are you picturing it? We're talking a king. I mean, this guy's going to rule everything and everyone. He's going to bring peace. And then something about this blood covenant that I'm going to benefit from it, the covenant that he's made with us. Like, God is coming back, and he's going to set up shop, man, and he's going to rule things from sea to sea, from everyone. He's coming to save us. That's good news, right? Yep. Now, what happens when 20 years passes and he hasn't come back yet? Right? And then 50, and then 100, and then your grandparents told you about this, but you're starting to think that maybe grandpa was losing it. And then 200 years, and then 300 years, and then 400 years. I mean, look at the mess America's made of itself in a short amount of time. We're talking, you know, four to 500 years since this is said, still nothing. And constantly waiting for this Messiah. And at the time of Jesus, what was it like for these people? What's that, oppression? They were looking for a Messiah, but not the correct one. I mean, who was ruling them? The Romans, right? They weren't even free in their own home. So this was really good news, right? If we could get somebody to come in and take control and rule over everyone and everything, that would be an exciting prospect for you as a citizen at this time. But like I said, 100 years passes, 200 years passes. So the Jewish people were waiting on their Messiah, and that word, if you're not part of church, like I want to be careful with that, because I think we, we, the heart of what we're doing here is we appreciate our heritage, but I want to do a better job of explaining church words. So I throw that word Messiah at you. And if you were a Jew at the time, it would have a lot of meaning to you. You'd be talking about it over the last, you know, four or five hundred years, waiting for this Messiah. But the idea, the Messiah is the chosen or anointed one. So it's the one that God was sending, and he was the one that coming to rescue or, or save them, and they were always watching for him. And over time, different people would pop up and say, it's me, I'm here, right? And then that would fizzle a lot of times at the hand of a sword or a rebellion, right? So they've been waiting for this for more than 400 years. And they're still waiting. Still waiting, yep. So then we, we fast forward, and in one of the Gospels, one of the accounts of Jesus' life uh, that we call Luke, chapter 19, verse 29 through 40, I'm going to read this to you. When he drew near to Beth, Bethphage and to Bethany, at the mount which is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. Wait a second here. I mean, we read through this, right? But this is great. I mean, you're on a hike, guys. You're on a hike with Jesus, and we're, you're coming down off the mountain, and you see the town, and he's like, Corey, Tyler. Okay, we're going to take a little break, but you guys are going to go into town. Like, go left on Robert Road, and then, you know, right on Yavapai, right? And then you go down this road. There'll be a house. It'll be yellow. There'll be a little donkey there. And just go on up there and take that donkey and bring it to me. 
right? He didn't even have Google Maps, okay? How did he know where this was? There was no Facebook, no social media posting. He knew where that would be at the time. And then he says, don't worry. When you go to steal their donkey, just tell them the Lord needs it, and they're going to be fine. But that's the cool thing about that. These guys have been with him so long, they're like, I mean, I wonder what the conversation went like, right? Right, Randy? What the conversation, those guys like, okay. And they're walking into town. We're going to get killed, stabbed, or something. I don't know what's going to happen. Then it goes on to say, verse 32, so those who were um, sent away, and they found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, right, okay, Hurry, Corey's like, Tyler, hurry before someone catches us. So they come out, what are you doing stealing my donkey? And its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And it doesn't say what else, but apparently, they're like, okay, I don't know. Or like, no, get back here, and they ran faster, I don't know. It just says, and verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus, They threw their cloaks on the colt, and they sat Jesus on it. And he rode along, and they spread their their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down, the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise. So check this. I mean, donkey, cloaks, Jesus, feathered blonde hair and blue eyes. He's riding that, wind in his hair. He's coming down slowly on this colt, and everyone, and everyone rejoiced and praised God with a loud voice for the mighty works they'd seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. King, right? They use that. They're still thinking, yes, we're about to take the Romans down, Derek. This is going to be great. I don't know how he's going to do it, but we're going to do it. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Right? Cool story, right? Wow. John 12, I want to add something because this is is something else John's saying. John 12, verse 12. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, Palm Sunday, took branches of palm trees and, and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And, and Jesus found a young donkey, so they don't give you all the details, and sat on it. And just as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion. He's referring back to Zechariah. Um, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His, disciple did, his disciples did not understand these things at first. So you see, it wasn't really clear to them. Most of his disciples were at this point just doing what he asked them to do, very simply. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that the things had been written about him and he had, had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. Who's Lazarus? Why is he significant out of the tomb? He was dead and what? And Jesus raised him from the dead. So that would get some attention. So people came because they're like, 
Who is this magician dude who can like bring people back from the dead, right? They wanted to see. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he has some kind of power from heaven. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he'd done this sign. Interesting fact, okay? Next week, we, you talk, we talk about Easter being the crucifixion of Jesus and then the re- resurrection of, of Jesus. And you just know because of the size of the area he was in, you had some people hollering, Hosanna, here comes the king from God to kill him. Uh, interesting. So what are we going to do with that? This is what I, I just feel, okay, down in my giblets, right? I feel this is what I need to share with you today. The Lord has just put this on my heart. Rather than just go, we can go talk about that, and we do every year. But what I wanted to bring up to you is interesting enough in this story, Jesus didn't do what we expected him to do. And I think that's super important because what I want for you guys, what's exciting about the youth, what you're doing today, what's exciting about everyone on this platform, what's exciting about everyone back here taking care of the lights and doing security out there and up here in the sound booth, these three, is these people are ministering to you. They're they're serving you. They're, They're being obedient to God to love others more than themselves. And if we're going to do that, we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know him more and more and better and better. That's the whole reason why we gather. This house of worship where we come together and say he's God and we're not. And we want to know more about him. So what I have to bring to you is you see that Jesus did not do what we expected. He did not do what the Jews expected him to do. He didn't do what the Pharisees expected him to do. He didn't do what the Romans expected him to do. And and I would tell you, he still doesn't. He still doesn't. Well, let me dwell on that a minute. Here's what I think is ultimately important. I'll tell you, my heart as a pastor, someone who's shepherding for you, what I've seen is people uh, who... Claim faith in Jesus, but never change. I've seen a lot of that. In my heart, and my passion is that I really want to see each one of you move and grow into Christ-likeness more and more. And that process will be completed when you raise, right? When you raise and you're with him. It will all be complete. All of creation in its perfect and complete status. Until then, there is a walk, a process that we're in. And it's going to take our whole lives to do it. And I want us to follow Jesus together. But in order to do this, there's an important aspect that's missing. You see, in in the Christian world, here's what I've seen. I've seen this. They're like, okay, the Great Commission. Tell everyone about Jesus and get him to church. Which is great and, and awesome. But the negative side of that that I've seen is people go out and they tell a story or a canned statement to tell you this is what Jesus is and why you should believe in him. The statement has no foundation in their reality of their experience. Have you seen that? And although I appreciate their heart that they want to share Jesus, it has no foundation in who he is or what he's done in their world. And then on the other end, people have grown tired of that. 
And we've gone to the other extreme because we love to do this. And the other extreme is this. I don't care about you. I'm just here to grow and become more holy and get better. And when I sit before God, I'm like, help me. He's like, I'm God, and so I do both of those. One, I am learning and growing, and I'm in the presence of God. And I'm walking with him. And the, and the other end, I have a huge mission I'm part of. And so there is something that I, I do, and everywhere that I go, I, I am a Christian. Both of those things are true, but we tend to focus on just one or the other. Does that make sense? At any moment, we might, we might lean into one side or another, but I think what we have to begin to see is if we're going to be people who are on mission with Jesus, then we've got to understand that he's not going to do what we think he's going to do all the time. We're not going to control him or figure him out. Because even for 450 years, they were talking about what this Messiah would do and be, and he did not do what they thought he was going to do. And it started with this for them, Matthew 4, 18 through 20. Here's Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter. Heard of him? Peter? And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I mean, think about it. These two men were professional, for generations, professional fishermen over a specific body of water. They knew the process to fish. They had routines. They had habits. They had a life. But then Jesus came in verse 19, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And we've read that so much, right? So much. And why I'm bringing that to you right now, what does it have to do with the triumphal entry? Well, everything, because what I want to bring to you today is what's beautiful about remembering is that Jesus busted onto the scene, man, on a donkey. And he was up to something big, but everyone thought they knew what he was up to. Even the guys following him, but they had no idea. It's just like Peter and Andrew. He comes onto that beach and he's like, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, right? Did they mishear him? Did they think he had a fishing company? No. I mean, I know from the context these guys were aware of who this guy was, that, that he was, you know, a teacher. And so I'm sure they assumed they were going to get into, you know, be under the teaching and tutelage of a rabbi, which was a societal jump from fishermen. So they're like, yes, got into Yale. Right? That's kind of what they're thinking. So, Dad, we're out. No, please go. Go to Yale instead of be a fisherman with me. Right? That, that's what probably was happening, but they had no idea what was ahead for them. See, Jesus finds you right where you are. It's true. Doesn't that comfort you? He finds you right where you are. With the language, even though it's simple, we're lost on it. One, we think he doesn't come where we're at. Or we think he comes to us where we're at, and he's like, cool, I'm going to live here with you too. And that, that is not how that works either. He comes and he finds you right where you are, and he invites you to follow him somewhere else. And be part of something else. 
He takes your life, which is about fisher, being a fisher man, and he transforms it into becoming a fisher of man. Okay, well, you, you're, you're losing me. Well, let, let me bring it back here. Jesus also said this to those who followed him. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That's a New Living Translation, so it might be a little different than you've heard it. But I think it encapsulates what's going on here so well. Um, Jesus busts in, right? He's like, follow me. And now what we're going to be about is what the kingdom is about. Like, think about that. When, help me out from scriptures. Where, where were times that Jesus did what we did, you wouldn't have expected him to do? And we got an example? The adulterous woman, right? They were testing him, the adulterous woman. You remember? Hey, this woman's been caught in adultery. You know the law. We've got to throw rocks at this girl. And he says, okay, well, the first person who's never sinned, you throw the first rock. And the old dudes are like, nah, I'm out. And then everyone, little by little, pretty soon, it was just him and her. And he's like, well, who's, who's going to stand and condemn you? Looks like nobody. Well, I won't either. Now go and stop doing what you were just doing. I found you where you're at, and now let's go somewhere else. He didn't do what you expected. He didn't do what religion commanded. What else? Woman at the well. Yeah. I mean, why do you even go, go that direction anyway, you know? He went off track, hung out a well with a woman that wasn't his wife. Wasn't Jewish. And he ends with the same thing with her. Like, I've got living water that you know nothing about, you know? If you had it, you wouldn't thirst anymore. What, water? It's forever. You don't get it, but you will. Let's go on and, and stop what you're doing, right? That's how it always goes. What else? There was another one? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jesus walked on the water, right, in the middle of the storm. Right, there's a big storm, and he's just like, uh-huh, just walking along. And like, Is it a ghost? No, it's the Lord, okay. Why were you afraid? Or the storm starts and he's sleeping on the boat in the other story. Like, uh, like isn't this guy going to wake up? What's his issue? We're all going to drown here. We know the sea. Yeah. Yeah. He knew what Judas was going to do, but he still, I mean, how long did he know that this guy was stealing money from them? How long did he know? that he was going to turn him over to the officials. And yet he walked with them and they slept in the same place and they ate a meal together and they shared that last supper together. I mean, that's why God's like, my ways, right, aren't your ways. My ways are as far as the earth is from the heavens are my ways far away from yours. So what is, in that context, what's the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Help me understand that. Help me explain it. What's that? The presence of Jesus. Righteousness reigns. 
The exact opposite of this world. Yeah, think about it in this context. In the kingdom of God, okay, in the king, let's go this way. The kingdom of the world, there's a storm brewing that's going to turn your boat over and you're all going to drown. What do you do? You definitely don't take a nap. In the kingdom of God, sometimes you sleep in the middle of the storm. In the kingdom of the world, you come against somebody who's been caught in adultery. In the kingdom of God, you get down face to face with them and love them. So this is what God is saying. The reason why is because we are always protecting ourselves. But Jesus, when he became a man, right? Like Elliot said, wow, that he became a human. I mean, everything else is amazing that he died and how he lived. But he came down from heaven and took on all the limitations of what it is to be a man. And then put himself in one of the worst situations of what it is to be a man. You know, not, not someone royal or protected but born into a nation owned by another nation and controlled by another nation with a ruler that tried to kill him the day from the beginning of his birth to his last day those rulers were after him until they finally got him so christians we should always be like what is the kingdom of heaven doing and requiring right now or simpler what are you up to right now god And if I seek that, then I know that he's going to take care of me. But the problem is, and this, you know, I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain it, but we think in in linear terms as people, right? I remember, you do A, and then B, and then you get C, right? There's a line, there's a path to things. There's a way of doing things. And the way that that works in a Christian life that I see in it, or in anyone's life, is this. You and I have wants, desires, needs, You get that? And when those aren't met, we get disappointed. And so we look at our life like this. Here's what I want, or what I need, or that weird blended line between, right? We think we need what we really just want. And we we go towards that. In any given moment of time, I'm either getting what I want, and life is good, or I'm not getting what I want, and life is Four. I'm, I'm doing what I think I should be able to do, so this is good and optimal. I'm, I'm held back from doing what it is I think I should be doing, and so this is bad. My, my plan is working out according to what I laid out. This is good. It's not going as I planned. This is bad. Do you, do you see that? Is that how your life works? Okay. You're still awake? Smell the spaghetti? We tend to think in linear terms. And so the way that that works is what, what I believe is required for my need or desire to be met is the only way, if I get that met, that's the only way to transition to satisfaction or I got what I need. So simply, I mean, anything in life can happen, but you're like, I've set out for a goal, right? I have a child. 
I expect that child to become an old man or a woman and be at my funeral. What happens if they don't? I, I've, I've chosen this man or this wife to be my husband or wife, you know, depending on your gender, right? You, you choose that. You have plans and hopes. What if that person isn't what you thought they would be? Um, I've got to have this much money, otherwise I'm not going to be content. So that's linear thinking. Do you see that? Now, what God does is he does things so differently at times that if we don't pay attention to that, if we don't stay onto this truth that what Jesus does is he invites you and I to follow him. We follow him. We find our mission, our purpose. We find ourselves. We've got elders in this church, right? And Tim's out there. So he's out there keeping watch over you. Let's see. We got Josh back here. Josh White. We got Josh McCauley over here, right? We've got Randy. And then we've got, we've got where's Dennis at? Oh, I think he's out there too. We've got Dennis who's watching after things. And then you've got, well, he's not, that's not him. He's not part of that group. We were meeting together last week. We were praying for the church. And, and you guys said something to me that blew my mind, which was so true. They're like, you know, the, way, the reason we're doing this, ministering in the church, is not because it's a board that we're part of or a job that we had, but it's who we are. It's who God created us and what he planned for us to do. Those guys, get it, they're getting it. They have a purpose that's so great. It's so much more than what they do or what they get out of it. And in the process, God provides. So when Jesus comes in on that cult, what he's basically saying is the king is here, but it's not what you think. It's better. And so us following him, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm practicing and I'm inviting you into is to think about it like this. For sure, know God, love God, man. Sing at the top of your lungs and come to the end of yourself and worship him with song. By all means, study your scripture. By all means, don't do the sinful things that hurt you. Do the righteous things that help you. That's all important. But don't forget this, that Jesus came in on that donkey. He invites us all to follow him to the death of ourselves and the launching of his kingdom and mission. And when I say that, the connotation is like some mission organization, right? Like you've got to go to Africa. It's not, it's not what I'm saying. See, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it like this, James 4, 13 through 15. Come on, now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, for you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. The reason why I throw that out there for you is because here's what I want you to do. We're going to go into a gospel. It's going to be the next book we're going to study. And so we're going to be looking at what did Jesus command us to do that we should do? What did Jesus do that we should emulate? But I, th but I think what's really key here is we've got, to, we've got to transform our thinking just to say, at every time, a Christian should be asking that question like, what are you up to, Lord? And how do I join you in what you're doing? What are you up to, Lord? And how do I join you in what you're doing? 
I mean, ultimately, it's this idea that to follow Jesus, we must see him and go where he goes and do what he does, right? But does that sound religious to you? It does, right? So let's bring this in a real practical way. What I'm saying to you is I want to know that every one of you, if you're hearing my voice, whether you're online or here, God created you. And when he created you, he could have put you in time and space, right? Any point in time from creation to now. Right? You could have been one of Job's friends. You could have been there with King David or with Jesus. You could have been a Greek or a Roman. I mean, hey, you could be living in New York City right now instead of here. I mean, even in this time and this place, you are here for a reason and a purpose. And what I'm telling you is life is in seeking the kingdom in his business, and then he adds it to you. And so if I have a purpose or mission greater than me, let me bring this real practical home. I have a wife, Brandy. I love her. I'm not always loving to her. Right? And the English word, meaning of the word, I feel love feelings for her, but I'm not always acting loving. I have a mission in my life to love her. Indeed, in a word, in faithfulness and support, that's a tremendous mission. So how I should approach her, and if you have a, a, a spouse then it should be the same thing for you. I need to look at this to say, Lord, what are you doing in her life and how can I be a tool in which I minister to her? When I do that, how does that go? It goes pretty well. I was doing this intentionally and I hope you don't mind me sharing. She just said, I appreciate what you're doing for me. She noticed it. Do you mind? Okay. She says, I appreciate what you're doing for me. And I'm like, God, this really is, this is great. Like this transforming of my thinking. Because otherwise, I tend to think, okay, what do I need and what does she need? And ultimately, you could do a decade of counseling and trying. And in the end, you'll come to this end place where you're like, I am so screwed up, I cannot give her exactly what she needs. And she cannot give me exactly what I need. We can know it. We can write it out. You can talk about it till you're blue in the face. But ultimately, if every day I'm like, mm, Lord, what are you doing and how do I participate? This is my son, Tyler, my daughter, Jordan, my son, Johnny, right? Sometimes God's like, hey, it's 1130 and they're teenagers, so they're up late, right, doing homework. Just listen to them. And when I do it, I feel so close to them. It's like, what it is, is me seeking the kingdom of God. And then he's adding to me so much. And, and Connor, you know, comes by the house and we have dinner. You don't even expect it, but then you have this conversation because that's what God's up to. I take Tyler to Yavapai College. A guy comes out that was a vet. He finds out we're Christian. Man, we talk for like an hour. He's telling me his life story. It's like, whoa, what are you doing, God? And this is amazing. Like, we are supposed to be people, like, on mission. Everywhere that we go, the places that we play, the places that we work, our homes, the places that we love. And so that's what Jesus is, like, riding in on the colt and being like, okay, God, set up the kingdom and make everything great. He goes, no, you're all going to die. <laughs> I only got one donkey, so you're walking.
That's the one thing I want to give to you today. I want to invite the praise team to come on back up. I don't know about you. It's just better when the lights go down a little bit and there's some music when I'm trying to pray and ask God, like, hey, can you apply this to my life? Because I'm glad that Will's feeling that way when he talks to his kids or when he's talking to his wife or when he's at the grocery store. But what does that mean for me? So here's... Let, 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 me, uh, let me lead you part of the way. Here's what I say we do. It's great to remember. So let's remember that Jesus, he's come into every life. That's heard him. And he's invited every person that he's come in contact with to say, I'm building a kingdom and I'm inviting you to be part of it. And so the question we have for him is one, I mean, do you want to be part of it? That's the first question you've got to ask yourself. If you said yeah, or you're saying yeah today, then good. Step two is like, okay, Lord, what are you up to? Show me in my life so I can start thinking with a life with purpose. And I know that's been hijacked, right? It seems like type A control freak. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes the purpose is stillness. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's a nap. Sometimes it could be building a house or flying a plane or drinking coffee. But I don't know what it is. And see, every person who Jesus saves, he also abides in. The Holy Spirit of God lives in him. And the Holy Spirit is such a tremendous counselor and comforter. And so that's what I want to pray. I want to ask him that he would come and he would speak to everyone who believes and that he would show us in our lives like where he's working and where he's asking us to be on mission. And then he's going to, I believe he's going to show you. Now what I don't know whether I can believe is whether you'll do what he asks you to do. That's, that's on you and him. If I can encourage you, I will, but let's just pray and see what the Lord does. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, you came down and you took on all that comes from being a man and not a man of power or wealth, but a simple, humble man who rolled, who rode on a donkey and not a chariot. And you rode that donkey, not even to a good place, but to your death. And then you conquered death so that we might all live. So I thank you for that, Jesus. And I just, man, I receive that fresh today that you love me and you died for me to save me from myself, to save me from the kingdom of darkness around me and from sin. And so I receive that with joy and thankfulness, God. And now I, I want to be part of your mission. I pray that everyone here would want to be part of your mission and your purpose and your plans and so lord i pray that you would you would speak holy spirit of god to everyone who has ears to hear and eyes to see and show us the mission of our life and the purposes of our life and where we fit in and where we belong lord that we would look at our friends and our family and the people we love and work with and play with and encounter on the road 
as the working of your kingdom, Lord, that we wouldn't hold back to protect ourselves, but that we would know that you would provide for our needs. So, Lord, we just open this time up to you that you would speak to us and lead us in the ways of your everlasting kingdom. And it's in your power and name we pray, Jesus. Amen.